shotglassdigital.com. Geek Out Loud is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash geekout. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player of your choice. Audibletrial.com slash geekout. Help us out, guys. Come on. Come on, help us out. this episode of geek out loud i forget that the music is going to the place where i do what i'm doing right now and we're talking star wars it's the anniversary month of revenge of the sith and empire strikes back of course all the wars but as eric says we like our wars invisible by five it's geek out loud Welcome to Geek Out Loud after a very rough intro. My name's Steve Glosson. So glad to be along with you on this, your safe place to geek out on the internet. And man, is it going to be a fun show tonight. Uh, it is the th- uh, 35th anniversary of Empire Strikes Back. It's the 10th anniversary of Revenge of the Sith. And so that's going to be our focus tonight on an all-past-the-corn episode of Geek Out Loud. And I can think of no better way to bring this guy in and going ahead and hitting the theme music. Pass the cord. Ladies and gentlemen, I call him my brother from another mother, and it's amazing how much on the same wavelength we are so often. Please welcome back to Geek Out Loud, Eris Schoenerweiss. I keep wanting to say Schoenerweiss, but now, but you taught me that the pronunciation is Schoenerweiss. What's up, Steve? How's it, it going, man? You know, I call you my brother from another mother. It's crazy, dude. We were talking just <laughs> before we went live, and then you're like, I was thinking the same thing. And I'm like, oh, well, here we go. So there, there it is, and uh, I'm glad you're here, man. I'm, I'm, I know you've got an early flight out in the morning. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, off to uh, Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona. Is or it Phoenix uh, Comic Con this weekend? Man, the con season is in full swing. I just feel like con season is almost a year-round thing I, these days. It's become that. It, it yeah. really has become that. Um, because there's always some. If it's not the Comic Con people doing their stuff all over the country. Um, you've got all your, your smaller, you like your wizard worlds and, mm-hmm. and, uh, of course, C2E2 hadn't been long past out in Chicago. It was all kicked off in a way by Star Wars Celebration, 
Uh, meanwhile, yes. we got Star Wars weekends happening. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm so sad that I'm not going to be able to go this year, but you know, I know a lot of you out there are going, and I hope everybody has a good time. Well, this one's slash year. This one's for Erish. That's all yeah. I'm going to say. Hashtag this one's for Erish. <laughs> <laughs> I'll repay the I'll repay the love in in some small way by being down there and and, and throwing that out for you. So I'm definitely going to be missing it the weekend of the big meetup. Man, I'm looking forward to it. It's it's going to be a blast. I'm hoping everyone will come down. I'll go ahead and plug it. Rebel Force Radio doing their big uh, what's now their second annual Star Wars Weekends meetup. Uh, the final weekend of Star Wars weekends. Uh, they've got special room rates available at the Hilton there on Buena Vista, uh, right across from downtown Disney. Uh, get in touch with Michael uh, for those shoot, for all the information about that. Uh, shoot an email over to show at rebelforceradio.com with the subject line Star Wars weekends in it, and uh, they'll get you all the information as how to uh, get a hold of some special Rebel Force Radio rates. And um, and it's going to be awesome. Stay in the same hotel with everybody and and uh, hang out by the pool, uh, chill out down in the in the bar in the restaurant, whatever the case may be, and just talk with the wars all weekend while we're not at Disney. And uh, when we are at Disney, of course, it's going to be a it's a it's a cool lineup of people that are going to be there. Headlined, really headlined by Frank Oz being down there that weekend. So that's that's pretty amazing. It's his first real uh, fan event like this that I'm aware of and I'm um, looking forward to being down there with the rebel force radio guys and everyone who comes down for the meetup really quickly before we get going too far into this. Thanks to everyone who jo- uh, helps us out by clicking on those Amazon links at geekoutpodcast.com geekoutonline.com. Uh, your support means the world to the shows. There's a, there are several expenses that go into just keeping the shows up and running and uh, the Amazon kicks back a little bit whenever you do your shopping through those links. And I really greatly, greatly appreciate it. And a huge thank you so much uh, to those of you who support us directly at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. Our featured Patreon supporter this week, Marvin Jones. Chaos is his power. No matter how well laid the plans of those who oppose him, Marvin will make a mess of them. He brings chaos in a controlled way. Wherever he goes. That's Marvin Jones, our featured supporter uh, this week from patreon.com slash geekoutloud. And we appreciate his support and everyone who supports us there at patreon.com. Now, Erish, before, yes, before we get into the wars, uh, I, I want to run down uh, some other anniversaries. And as you said off air, and I love it, we like our anniversaries divisible by five. So. <laughs> And it's true. We do. It's easier that way. Well, and those always seem to be kind of like the special years, you know. Yep. So the math is easier, also. Indeed, indeed. Um, I didn't realize this, and, and it actually kind of accidentally uh, ended up checking it out because I'm like, I wonder if there was anything in '75, just kind of on a whim. And in May of 1975, a little movie called Monty Python and the Quest for the Holy Grail uh, came out in theaters everywhere worldwide. Uh, this was. I wasn't, of course, wasn't alive there, but but when I first was introduced to this movie, it was my introduction to the whole Monty Python thing. And, Likewise. Um, and I love this movie to this day. It's one of those that, uh, for whatever reason, I'll quote every now and again. Um, and it's just iconic. There's so much about that movie that just has become uh, icon in, in in the pop geek culture. And comedy culture at, at, at that. So, 
40 years ago. Love this movie. What about you? Yeah. Uh, I think I saw it. I saw it the first time in college. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody at NYU had it on video or whatever. And, uh, you know, I just remember watching it and just laughing hysterically through the whole thing. Yes. And then, of course, it became like just one of those movies that, you know, every Friday night when, like, we'd be all sitting around drinking beers or whatever, like, you'd just go into a quote fest. Exactly. Exactly. And just start throwing quotes back and forth. The other. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Black Knight. The first time I saw it, the Black Knight was probably my favorite scene. Mm. Um, yes, get back no, over it's here. It's just a flesh wound. It's just a flesh wound. Get back over here. I'll bite you to death. <laughs> I love the absurdity of the knights who say, neat. Yes. And uh, bring us a shrubbery. Uh, so, I still will. Somebody will ask me, like, you know, they'll be trying to pass me in the hall at work, and I'll stop them. And I'll be like, what is your favorite color? <laughs> What is your name? What is your favorite color? What is the average airspeed of a fully laden swallow? <laughs> well, I don't... African or European swallow. I don't know that! Uh, I love it. Uh, blue! No, yellow! <laughs> um, so that was 1975. In 1980, uh, 35 years ago this month, uh, of course, Empire Strikes Back, which we'll be talking about later on, uh, the Shining, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, starring Jack Nicholson, which is a movie I've never seen. I just know that it's as iconic as uh, All Get Out. Um, and the first ever Friday the 13th, wherein the killer was not Jason. Spoiler alert. Man, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was Jason's mama, everybody. There it is. Um, 30 years ago, 1985, we've talked about uh, First Blood. Well, just uh, real quick on uh, yeah. on The Shining. Yes. I mean, you can't just you can't just brush past. The well, you got you got to just introduce. You got to interject, man. Um, I, I have to look. I am not a horror person. Right. I, I do not like horror movies. I never have. When The Shining came out in 1980, I was 10, and this was before we had remote controls on the TV. Anytime the commercial would come on for it. I would do one of two things. I would either jump up and run to the TV and turn the knob on the channel, mm-hmm. just to any channel. Yes. Didn't matter. I couldn't watch the commercial. Or if, like, my dad was watching it or whatever and, like, no, I couldn't touch the TV, I would bury my head in a pillow and, like, try not to hear anything mm-hmm. or see anything. That trailer freaked me out like crazy. Really? Both, both the teaser trailer where it's just – the elevator opening and all the blood rushing in or the longer trailer. Like, I just remember having nightmares about the kid running through the maze. (laughs) And I didn't even know anything. It was just this kid running through an eerie maze, like freaked me out. It's, uh, it there, like I say, I've never seen it, but it's just, there's so many iconic shots from that movie. It Um, took me until college Really? Before I was able to watch that movie. You overcame your fear and you and you faced your fear. I, I'm still not a crazy fan of it. Yeah. I, I much prefer the Simpsons version of it. Indeed. Indeed. Where all work and no play makes Homer something something. <laughs> and it's actually called The Shinning. The Shinning. Yes, I've seen that. I've, I've, I remember that episode. Um, Tuttle around the warming glow of the warming glow of TV. The- <laughs> 
30 years ago uh, in 85. We've talked about First Blood Part 2. Um, but uh, Fletch, Chevy Chase and Fletch uh, was uh, released. And it'd be four, I think like four years, four or five years later before they do a sequel. Um, I think in 89 was the sequel to Fletch. Uh, but, dude, that's... if you Folks, if you've never seen Fletch, what are you doing with your life? Watch Fletch. It's it's worth your time, I promise you. Um, and then the James Bond vehicle of You to a Kill. Not necessarily the greatest Bond movie of all time, but uh, Christopher Walken is in it. So, And yeah. theme song by Duran Duran. Yes, yes. So Meeting you <laughs> with a view to a kill. Um, Bond. Simon the Bond. Simon, yes. Isn't it sad that I remember more about the song and the vi- and music video than I do about the movie itself? You know what? I'm <laughs> going to tell you the music video. The music video might have been a better experience. Which don't get me wrong, I like View to a Kill, but it's definitely, you know, on the list of greatest Bond movies. It's it's not there. It's it's down in oh, this is a Bond movie. So you know, because to me, the worst Bond movies are still watchable to an extent. So, is that um, the one that had Grace Jones in it? Yes, too? yes, yeah. And they're they're flying the blimp toward the uh, toward the Golden Gate Bridge, and Grace Jones says, "What of you?" And Chris Walken says, "To a kill." And <laughs> it's uh, it's you know pretty heavy handed. It's eighties fair, man. I think that was the was that the last Roger Moore. Bond? I'm not sure, but it very well may have been. Um, jumping forward, 25... No, I'm sorry. Yeah, 25 years ago, uh, in 1990, in May of 1990, May 25th of 1990, in fact, uh, a trilogy was ended with uh, Western. Back to the Future 3. Ayers, I know you love the Back to the Future films. I do love the, I love the trilogy. It was a lot of fun. Yes. So much fun! I, it's it's up there in, in one of my top. You know, it, it's up there in my top. Uh, you know, five or six movie series. I was a poor college student at NYU, desperate to see the uh, the final part of the trilogy. That I was so desperate, I scraped up like all the nickels, dimes, and pennies that I could find, and went and paid for my movie <laughs> ticket and all change. <laughs> you dumped they, you dumped change I, at I the box office. Just dumped it out. <laughs> They hated me, but they still took it and let me in. That's right. They they hated you, but you got your ticket. Yep, I oh, had to man. see it. Yes, of course, of course. Especially the way two ended. Two ends yeah. on such a cliffhanger um, that that you've got to go check it out and see what's going to be happening. Of oh, course, like, like one didn't end on a cliff. One ended with the whole big, huge to be continued, and they didn't really intend to continue. Right, it was right. just kind of a nod to. The old serials and yes, stuff like that. Right, right. So I don't consider that a cliffhanger because I know they didn't intend to continue it. Well, and the other interesting thing about the the second part two and part three was they were shot back to back, which at that time was like almost unheard of to do, and now it's kind of become commonplace for these big tentpole movies to do that. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the actually that's one of the first films that i remember doing that as a kid uh, you know i was i was 13 when this hit um and i remember all the news you know and reading the different magazines you know about them filming them at the same time and and they'd have such a short time between their releases 
and because uh, two I think came out in November of the prior year of '89, yeah. and um, yeah, they were just like six months apart. Yeah, and so it was just I was just really like, this is amazing. I didn't realize they'd done that with originally with Superman and Superman two at that point in my life. Um, but uh, but when when Back to the Future three, man, I this movie is to me so much fun. It's a uh, it's a nice send up to a western, you know, and and it's just uh, Back to the Future gets time travel right in so many ways. Yeah, so and some cool fun little things in the ZZ Top cameo. Yes, yeah, things like that. Now, have you seen uh, Seth MacFarlane's Western A Million Ways to Die in the West? I have, and the Doc Brown cameo. <laughs> Well, I wasn't going to spoil it. Oh, I'm sorry. There's a fun little cameo in there. My bad, everybody. Sorry. Um, Moving on, 20 years ago, 1995. Um, I mentioned this because it's Denzel Washington. Everybody loves Denzel. But it's also one of my favorites of all time. Gene Hackman is in it. Crimson Tide. Uh, Arish has mentioned it's no hunt for Red October. It is no hunt for Red October. But it's still uh, tense there toward the end. Uh, Die Hard 3, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Well, one one little tidbit on Crimson Tide. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That, uh, Tarantino was brought in to, uh, to punch up the dialogue a little bit in that movie. And uh, all the bits with, like, the comic book mm-hmm. debates and things like that, that was Tarantino. That blows my mind. Um, that's, uh, that's because Tarantino is seems so far afield from what that movie is. When, when it's all said and done. Uh, even though it's a good, it's a great movie to me, it's just not like, I, I, I think I agree with you. I don't know that it's in the, uh, that it's a, that it's Hunt for Red October. Uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance was also in May of 95. Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson. Um, why do you keep calling me Zeus? Why do you keep calling me Jesus? Isn't that what that kid called you, Jesus? No, he was saying, hey, Zeus. <laughs> like the God of Thunder. Um it was, I don't know, but I feel like that wasn't as well received as Die Hard and Die Hard 2. But I, I think it had started to, to push its, uh, its welcome at that point. Yeah. Although I liked it. I, I did too. it was a good action movie. It had some great scenes. I did too. You know, they were, they were kind of running out of the, you know, the guy in a thing right. kind of concept. So, so this was, one is literally like... A guy in New York City. Exactly, New York City as a character. But I liked uh, I liked Jeremy Irons as the villain, and I thought it was a great way to kind of cap off that series, and, and that we didn't need to ever visit Die Hard again. So far, I feel like I've been right about that assessment. I like the I, I like the one with uh, Justin Long. Is that the uh, is That's that the, the one, one where they shut down like all the power? Is that the one in DC? Yeah. Okay. It's got yeah. Timothy Oliphant as the villain, and yeah, I, yeah. I'm I'm a sucker for anything with Timothy Oliphant. He he killed a helicopter with a motorcycle. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, it was what it was. I'm just saying, as far as being memorable to me, uh, I think Die Hard with the Vengeance is so far the the. I don't think I've seen the fifth one. Oh, don't. Okay. Please don't. It's it's horrible. Fair enough. Uh, Absolutely horrible. One of the one of the greater movies of my generation, also in uh, May of '95, Braveheart with Mel Gibson. Yes. That is a fantastic movie. It's what we always wanted. Um, Country of our own. <laughs> I love that movie. It it's one of those that if you watch it and. When you're finished watching it, you kind of want someone to oppress you so you can destroy them. Um, 
so many good speeches, so many good lines. It's heartbreaking, uh, but just but great action in it. Yes. And I just, I miss Mel Gibson so much. I'm so angry that he turned out to just be like the biggest SOB in the world. Yeah, it and he was such a great movie star. He, he had charisma on the screen, and he, he would try different things and stuff. And man, yeah, it's weird. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to get off on on talking about people, but it's weird that that stuck on him. Um, well, I think it stuck because it happened over and over yeah. and over again with him. But see, you hear stuff like you, you hear. I've heard stuff like that with Alec Baldwin, and people just still keep giving him chance after chance after chance. And he's but a, Alec Baldwin will publicly come out and talk about it. He'll go on like some talk show on like Fox or whatever and talk about it. You know, whereas Mel Gibson, like you know, he said all these horrible things, and aside from really like Jodie Foster coming to his defense. Like everybody else just kind of ran and hid from it because he said the kind of things that you really have no choice but to stay away from. Alec Baldwin called his little girl a piggy. <laughs> he called her a little pig. <laughs> it's horrible. I'm not defending that, but I, understand. I, I think it's different than some of the things that Gibson has said. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with you. It makes me sad that, uh, and I thought he was mounting a comeback at one point, uh, but it just didn't pan out for him. three, baby. Yeah, uh, mm, that was a fun movie. I love the Expendables movies, by the way. So I really I. enjoy them. Also, in ninety-five. Just by way of a quick mention, uh, Casper, uh, the the motion picture Casper came out. It's notable because of cameos uh, by Father Guido and uh, Dan Aykroyd. Um, yeah, just I think it was just Dan Aykroyd in his Ghostbusters attire, uh, just really quickly, uh, real quick cameos there, and um, it's a fun little movie for family. So check it out. Uh, in two thousand, uh, man, Mission Impossible two, as directed by John Woo. So there was a lot of doves flying around. Yep. And uh, Gladiator, in the year two thousand. Love me some Gladiator. Is that? Is that the movie that launched Russell Crowe into stardom? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I, I thought it Unequivocally, was. Unequivocally, yes. Um, I mean, I think that he may have been nominated for an Oscar for that. I think the movie was nominated for Best Picture. The soundtrack is amazing. Um, just so much right about that movie. Yeah, I. you know what? I honestly have not. I don't think I've watched it since 2000. And supposedly some epic drinking nights on set because you had Russell Crowe, Oliver Reed, and uh, oh, forgive me, I'm forgetting who played Marcus Aurelius. Um, uh, the same guy who, who was the original Dumbledore. Oh, yes, 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 oh, yes, yes. yes. What is that guy's name? name? Right now. Ah, it's killing me. He's a legend. And I'm dishonoring him by not remembering his name, but Richard Harris. Thank you, Jess. Um, the three of them, legendary drinkers. Really? Reportedly had some good times together <laughs> working on that movie. <laughs> on the old Gladiator. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw Mission Impossible 2 and Gladiator back-to-back -back on the same day. Same day? Yeah. My friend uh, Thomas, who's a good friend of mine, and uh, we were in the same town at the time, and he's like, you need to see Gladiator. You'll love it. He said, or no, Gladiator was... 
what was it? I don't know if he he'd seen one of them already. Uh, maybe it was Mission Impossible Two. Um, so he said, "Let's see Mission Impossible Two, and that way, if Gladiator's not any good, we've at least." And this was his words at the time. We know we've seen at least one decent movie. <laughs> I saw Gladiator opening night with the whole mess of friends as a belated birthday party kind of thing well, what's, for myself. What's funny is you go from Mission Impossible 2, which honestly, I don't remember at all. It, all it, I remember about Mission Impossible 2 was everybody kept pulling facial masks off. Oh, well, like it was one mask after the next in that movie. Yeah, and uh, and so we 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 got out of that. And the, and the thing is, it's a John Woo film. It's fast paced. It's all this stuff. And we step into Gladiator, and um, you know, it's a much more it's a, it's a much more slowly paced movie. Not in a bad way. You know, you you start out with unleashing hell, you know, but there's also a lot of drama that goes on in this thing. And it's just a different movie. And it was just a poor choice on our parts to see those two movies back-to-back that day. Joaquin Phoenix was greatly vexed in that movie. Yes. Yes, he was. Um, I do remember about Mission Impossible 2. I believe Tom Cruise rock-bottomed somebody on a beach at the end of the (laughs) movie. I'm I'm, I'm being completely honest with you. I don't think I've seen either one of those movies since 2000 because that day ended up being kind of long and weird. And so it's just like... I. I, I need to rewatch Gladiator. I don't know I, that I need to I've rewatch. I've seen Gladiator plenty of times since then. I've seen Gladiator five hundred times. Um, so, but yeah, I totally, uh, totally need to revisit Gladiator for sure. I don't know about Mission Impossible Two. Gladiator turned into a big tattoo thing. Also, a lot of dudes got like strength and honor tattoos after that. Oh movie. wow, I didn't realize that. I didn't. I didn't know that 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 had been a thing. I know that. Uh, that was around the time that the tribal tattoos were really hitting big. You know, the little wavy yeah. tribal symbol tattoos that I guess uh, Goldberg started that. Everyone was a Goldberg fan back in the day. So, uh, Eris, before we get to talking the wars, really quickly, I just want to mention one more time Audible. Uh, Audible is our sponsor for this show, and we greatly appreciate Audible sponsoring the show. Uh, if you head over to Audible Podcast, or I'm sorry, audibletrial.com, slash geek out you can get a free audiobook download with a 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service um i've used audible now for months i love it i listen to audiobooks that's how most that's how most of the time i consume anything that i'm quote unquote reading um and uh, they've got a great service they've got you can you can download whatever format you need it works on your iphone your android device your ipad ipod whatever mp3 player you want to use i think there's still the option to download it to a cd if you need to so uh audibletrial.com slash geek out and uh, in honor of uh what we're talking about today uh let me encourage you if you've never read the novelization of revenge of the sith uh by matthew stover that's a great great book to start out on to use for to, to use your free credit uh, therefore, uh, it's narrated by Jonathan Davis, who has become just almost the voice of Star Wars novelizations uh, via audiobook. He is he does an incredible job, and Revenge of the Sith really does do a good job of fleshing out so much that people kind of griped about being uh, you know as, as far as it moving too fast and not quite getting Anakin's state of mind and that sort of thing. In Revenge of the Sith, Erish, you were. Um, uh, 
you you you're in you're kind of behind the scenes, so I do need to ask you this because I am confused on the novelizations of these movies. They're not canon, correct? The parts that line up with the movies are canon. There you go. All right. So um, we, we we won't. There won't be a legends banner on mm-hmm. the, the novelizations. Mm-hmm. But for instance, you know, uh, I believe in the original novelization for A New Hope, or one of them, like it's it's mentioned that Uncle Owen might be Obi Wan's brother. Yeah, that's, that's not in, camp. Yeah, that's in Jedi. He stuff says stuff like that is mm-hmm. not camp. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I'm sorry to talk work with you. I just wanted. Oh, I, I wanted to. I wanted to confirm that. Uh, <laughs> because I didn't think so. It's, but it's a common question. But Revenge of the Sith novelization by Matthew Stover is fan freaking tastic. Yes. Um, it is. It is definitely worth your time. And so, if you head over to audibletrial.com/slash/geekout, uh, you can use your free credit on that if you want to, or over 150,000 titles that they have there. So, check it out. Audibletrial.com/slash/geekout. Now, Eris, how do we want to do this? Do we want to do Empire first or Sith first? Should we just flip a coin and see what happens? Let's do Sith first. All right, let's get into Revenge of the Sith first. 2005, May 19th, 2005, what we thought would be the end of the saga, proper on the big screen, uh, hit the big screen. And for me, I, I chose Eris to make Revenge of the Sith as much of an experience, a well-rounded experience as I could with this with this film. Um, it was the first time I'd ever gone to Celebration uh, in April of that year in Indianapolis. That was Celebration 3. Celebration right? 3, that's right. Uh, George Lucas came and did three onstage panels, and I didn't get to go to any of those. <laughs> It was the weirdest cluster, man. People were lining up like the afternoon before and doing their own thing. Like nowadays, you know, celebration, they've got it down. You know, you, you get in line and you get a wristband and that tells you, you know, if you're going to get into the big panel, that sort of thing. Back then it was like, it was really kind of a fed, fan-led situation. We kept hearing rumors about how they're going to do it and how they're going to do this and that and the other. Uh, years later, Jason Swank would have said, well, you could have just eventually walked on into the room. There were plenty of seats. <laughs> so... Uh, but man, it was that was such a fun time, though. In fact, Eris, if I may brag a little bit here, please do on the uh, digital version of Revenge of the Sith that you can purchase at iTunes. You know, now they have those digital extras that come with them, right? And in the legacy content, there are there's a two part um, little featurette called the Journey. I think is what it's called. Anyhow, in part two, they focus in on the fans. Uh, of Revenge of the Sith, and they and they use footage from Celebration Three, and I'm all over that thing. Not just my, I, I'm talking, by the way, like communicating with um, uh, who was it at the time that was that was walking up and down the line filming. But anyhow, I was there, and they interviewed me for a few minutes, and and there I am, boom, right there on on the Revenge of the Sith special features. That is. Very cool. It it was it was one of the bigger parts of my life. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie to you. <laughs> were you you were employed uh, there at Del Rey by that point, weren't you? I was, yeah. And actually, I had I, I had taken over on the like the tail end of the new essential guide to weapons and tech, but 
the episode three books, those were the first ones that I really worked on from beginning to end. And uh, for me, I worked on uh, I worked on the art of episode three, and that was a big that was a big kind of bucket list milestone moment for me because the art of Star Wars is to this day one of my favorite books ever. Yeah, you know I got that book when I was like eight or nine years old, and it was one of those books that you just you read every single day. It had all the amazing concept art in it. It had mm-hmm. the script in it and stuff. I mean. I still have the book. It is worn to shreds. But to get to work on one of an art of book for a Star Wars movie, yeah, was just like a huge, huge deal to me. Wow, how what did that do to your excitement level for the film? As well, it was I went into the book swearing to myself that I was going to, I was not going to read the script in the book, and that I was going to spoil <laughs> the movie as little as possible. Right. Which is impossible to do when you're working on a book that's all concept art for the movie. Right, right. So it just it reached the point where I was like, "All right, I, I can't not, I can't do this. Like it's going to be spoiled for me." So then I went and read the manuscript for Stover's novelization, mm-hmm. and just rocked my world. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I remember having tears in my eyes at the end of that when I finished reading that. It is, that book is so well written, man. I, I love it. It's, it's one of those that I, that I actually will revisit. I'm not one to reread a lot of times right. with novels, up, but I will revisit Revenge of the Sith. Um, just because I was so taken with his, with his novelization. Did that mess up though? Your enjoyment of the movie when you finally got to see the movie? No, no, because I was still madly excited for it. Yeah, um, we had an advanced screening that just for Random House employees right, right. that we got to go to. So I think I saw it like three or four days before it actually premiered. Nice. And nice. you know, it was like a Tuesday morning that we went. I remember we had to, you know, hand in all of our cell phones and stuff like that. You know, they they were so adamant about the secrecy and everything for it. Um, but the other fun thing we got to do for Revenge of the Sith was uh, the books all went on sale like four to six weeks before the movie opened. Yes. Yep. And the day that the books went on sale, we had a big Star Wars day in the Random House offices. And we had a whole bunch of the local 501st guys from the Empire City Garrison come in in their armor and stuff. And... We showed all the movies and the cafeteria at lunch. Nice. And, you know, but I got to kind of be for the whole day. I was sort of the, I, I was the guy who anything the 501st guys needed, like they could come to me. Cool. So I basically just hung out with them all day long. <laughs> Love and, it. Uh, you know, I got to, I got to wear the stormtrooper helmets and stuff like that. And it was just, I had a blast with it. And I remember being out, in front of our offices on Broadway. And we're just a block or two up from like David Letterman's studio, just as a little reference. Right, sort of. right. But we're outside the building and like, you know, I'm with Darth Vader, Boba Fett, and a couple stormtroopers. And, you know, they're just there posing with people, taking pictures as they go by and stuff. And all of a sudden, this New York City police car like screams up onto the sidewalk, like two wheels on the sidewalk, 
lights blaring, both cops <laughs> jump out. And I'm just looking at the 501st guys and the cops like, oh, God, what did we do? What are we in trouble for? The cops come running over to Darth Vader and Boba Fett, and they're like, can we get our pictures with you? Nice. And they had them, like, arresting them against their police car. Nice. And, like, posing for pictures, being arrested by Boba Fett and Vader and these stormtroopers. That's awesome. And it was hysterical. Yes. They were yeah. so excited about it. Um, and, like, uh, my heart's beating a mile a minute because I thought we were going to get arrested. <laughs> and it turned the cops just wanted to have their pictures taken. That's awesome. That is um, so cool. But yeah, so that that was that was all just a lot of fun. How do you feel the movie holds up now, ten years later? I it's I'm watching it right now they, as we speak. <laughs> um, all right, I, fair enough. I think of the three prequels, it holds up the best. I I agree. I think I agree with that. I, I think that it, it it's interesting. It moves a mile a minute. You know, you you never really get to catch your breath, and there's so much that's happening that you're that part of the storytelling of this movie is you're getting only to see glimpse of glimpses of battles here and there. Um, as you're following kind of the story of Anakin, it really narrowed down from this big galactic story to the story of Anakin, uh, by the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I think it just, I, I love it. I, I absolutely love revenge of the Sith. I think it's the best of the prequels. Yes. Um, and um and, and it's the best looking of the prequels too yeah yeah how do you mean how do you some, mean there's some beautiful shots in this right I, I, one of my favorite shots is when they they land grievous's ship you know after it yes. and it's burning up and yes hits the runway there's just that one shot where it just comes right at the camera and the camera goes right into the cockpit yep the three of them sitting in there another happy landing yeah and there's some great (laughs) shots at the end you know during anakin and obi-wan's big duel Mm -hmm. there's some beautiful shots there um yeah i definitely think it's the strongest of the three and i feel like because of kind of how fast-paced the movie itself is that the dialogue actually got tightened up from the previous films um you know, it, it's still not what everyone loves about the original trilogy dialogue, but it's it's a little bit snappier. Yeah, there is a little bit more banter. You know, Obi Wan gets to be Obi Wan. You know, that kind of making the jokes that we saw him kind of he was doing that in Episode One early on. And, and oh, so, this is Obi Wan's best movie. Oh my gosh, it's it's dude. I, I know everyone goes to it, but the scene on the banks of Musafar, Musafar, Mustafar. Um, just that moment where he just all the emotion wells up in him. Yes, and he just all he can do is just yell, "You are the chosen one." Yeah, and uh, and it's like that's all he can get out. It's all the frustration, all the hurt, all the pain, and it and it's right there on him. Um, did so you saw this for the first time a few days before release with with the Del Rey folks? How many do you know? How many times you saw it in the movie theater? I saw it at least twice in a theater because I saw it with the Delray crew and then I saw it that weekend with my brother-in-law and my nephews. Right, right. I went and saw it at a midnight screening the opening night. You know, this is when they were still doing midnight screenings and not, right. you know, not the 7 o'clock screenings. <laughs> um, and uh, I drove an hour and a half away to go see it with a bunch of uh, kids who had been in my youth group that were now college students and who just wanted me to come watch the movie with them. Uh, end up spending the night, you know, on the couch, and then uh, headed headed home, 
and got with friends that afternoon and drove to a different theater about an hour away to go see it with all my friends that were my age that afternoon about 3.30. Um, and from there, it was just, you know, it was just off to the races with me. I wanted to see this movie however I could see it in whatever formats I could see it in. I just wanted to experience it as many different ways as I could. I went to a crappy little rundown theater to see it with my cousin at one point. Uh, I drove up to go visit with one of my good friends in South Carolina, and they had uh, a theater that had been re remodeled and or actually restored. I mean, it was like classic looking theater, you know, huge, huge auditorium, if you will, with you know just countless seats in it, but uh, just a classic old school type movie theater. And uh, they'd re they'd remodeled it, redone it, and had digital projection. It was the first time I'd ever gone and watched a digitally projected movie, and noticed things that I didn't see in the previous times I'd gone to see this movie. You know, uh, I had friends that would say, "Oh, you've got to come watch it with me. You've got to come watch it with me." I'm like, "Okay, I must have I must have seen this. I didn't count, but I imagine I saw it at least a dozen times in the theater before it was pulled from theaters." Wow. Um, I loved it, dude. I'm, and I'm a sucker for stuff like that. I, maybe it was just the, you know, the, the, cause let's see, that was 28. So yeah, I was still a young man then. <laughs> so maybe it was just the, you know, the energy of youth or just the, you know, just stupidity of thinking something may change. But I love every time I saw it, I loved it that much more. Um, and to this day, when I, when I put it on and watch it, you know, there, it has so many moments. It'll just catch my attention. I, I love the fight between Obi-Wan and Grievous. You know, and what goes down there, and and uh, well, I just love the way he drops in behind him and says, "Well, hello there." Hello there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a great moment, and I remember at Celebration Three they showed some extended footage. You know, um, almost like an extended trailer, um, uh, in one of Rick McCallum's panels, and and that was the first time we'd seen Grievous kind of move and, right. and, and they showed the quick clip of him getting into that, that weird wheelie thing that he rode around in. I love that wheelie. And, and that was, and see, I'd seen the toy and I wasn't sold on it. I'd seen like preview images and I'm like, I don't know. Then when I saw it in motion, I'm like, that's pretty cool. I really dug it. Um, and that was the first time we saw Yoda. Cause one of the big things for attack of the clones to me was, when Yoda catches not not deflects but catches Dooku's lightning, yeah, and just kind of puts it away almost, you know, um, and so they showed the clip of uh, they didn't show the full clip, but they just showed Emperor turning to Yoda, hitting him with lightning, and Yoda just getting thrown back against the wall. And I remember just watching that, and I'm like, my heart sank. I'm like, that is heartbreaking to see him get tossed around like that. Especially after seeing him deflect it and catch it, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's how powerful the Emperor is. And we just came out of that particular panel, you know, as you always do when you get to see new footage and stuff. You know, it just minds blown, jaws agape, talking about, well, what is going to go down? This is going to be nuts. This is going to be crazy. And, um, and, and then bumping into a thousand different people. They also did something cool with the soundtrack for Revenge of the Sith, where they put that DVD in there. And, uh, and and it was like music from across the saga, almost like what they did. Well, in some cases, exactly what they did with the uh, with the Star Wars in concert thing. And and uh, and Ian McDermott, he narrates it 
throughout the different clips leading into. And so it's almost like little music videos of different concert pieces from the film. And one of the pieces they did, the only piece from Revenge of the Sith they did on that was Battle of the Heroes. And they were showing that at the Sony booth, that particular video, on rotation. And that's the first time you see Obi-Wan spring out of the Jedi Starfighter and take out battle droids and stuff. Oh, I'm just like, I'm going to love this movie. And I did. And I did. I'm, I, 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 I get giddy talking about it because I just love it so much. You can't help. I feel like you can't help but. I love the whole opening sequence, you know, where you you just see the the two starfighters flying in and flying around the the Jedi cruiser, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, bam! They like open up, and there's this massive <laughs> yes. battle going on underneath. I mean, that whole opening sequence from that first shot with the ships yep. to the point where the ship crash lands. Yes, it's just. Bang, 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 bang. One massive roller coaster ride, all running into each other and all super cool. Well, and some of the camera shots and camera work there, you know, with them in the cockpit and all, uh, there's there's a shot of Obi-Wan that is like just he where he's completely mimicking a moment from A New Hope. You know, yeah. where he reaches up behind him to flip a switch and then turns back around and you know, and and uh, and then there's also lines being echoed not only from a new hope, but also from Phantom Menace, and and it's just it is so cool. And it's and to me, uh, one thing that really got by a lot of people, I think, subtly that I didn't I didn't recognize until I saw a meme of it a little a little while back. And 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 the Phantom Menace, uh, once R two gets that Naboo starfighter off of autopilot, little Anakin says, "All right, let's go left." And then he says, "Let's go this way." And then he says, "Well, let's try spinning. That's a good trick." And when those vulture droids launch the yeah, the, the missiles, missiles and it can spins, spins and it, <laughs> oh, it's a I good trick. Connected those two. Yeah, I thought that was just such a cool, subtle little thing. I, sometimes here's, I, here's a question that occurred to me when I was watching this again. Mm-hmm. I, like I said, I have it playing right now as right. we talk. When Obi Wan's got the buzz droids all over his ship. Yes. Why doesn't he just use the force and knock them off? I don't know. There's so many times where I, the Jedi, you feel like they could just do that, and I don't know if it's I, something I mean, about... It should be as simple as just, like, uh, away with you and, like, swat your hand and yeah. they're gone. I don't if know. If he can't do it, why didn't Anakin do it? I, I, I don't... Maybe because it would have taken away from the dramatic tension of the moment? I guess. I, but, you know, I'm just watching it, and, and I, I don't know how many times I've seen this, and this is the first time it's occurred to me. Like, how come they didn't just use the force? Well, if they did, just... so I mean that—that's how good the scene is. Is that you don't think about that, but... right? Right. Well, also, you know, maybe there's a chance that if he just used the force to blow them off of there, they wouldn't have been destroyed and would have tacked onto someone else's ship. And well, then here's another question: Why didn't the separatists just like launch a bazillion of those? And just watch that, like, just a whole massive swarm of them and watch them just ravage all the Republic ships. I have no idea. Uh, I'm glad they didn't. I, <laughs> maybe maybe it has something to do with how many they could control. This is know? what was going through my head right. as I'm watching. Well, it. see, I get into stuff, I'm like, well, they can't. if they did that, then they'd probably lose control of them, and those little guys could cut, just come to any yeah, ship. Yeah, pretty you know? soon they're just going like, right. to eat all of course. It becomes a zombie virus. Yeah. So. <laughs> The buzz droid virus of of the Star Wars galaxy. <laughs> um, 
I don't think, you know, I honestly, if you get honest, I don't think Sith is without its weaknesses. Um, you know, just any movie has its weaknesses, but uh, uh, with this one, I do feel like because there was so much story to be told and and uh, and we do only see little snippets of the battles here and there, I could have just, you know, with my mindset, I could have sat and watched more of the stuff that was going down on Kashyyyk. I could have seen, you know, I would have liked to have seen what was going on with these other Jedi. You know, there was so much, and of course we get some of that in the Clone Wars once, you know, once that show airs. But, um, but then I also feel like uh, Padme kind of got the short end of the deal in this movie. I, I'm going to keep my mouth shut about Padme. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you, you got a problem with Padme in the movie? Hello? Hold on, we got, we got that bus going through your house again. Skype's being a jerk. Did I lose you? Not quite. Am I back yet on you? Uh, a little bit. You're in and out. Well, let's refresh the call. Oh, there he is. There okay, he is. there we go. Yeah, you had that bus driving through your house again. I don't know what to tell you. It's all... I, I must have, like, one of those Ghostbusters ghost it's, buses that roll through here. It's all... Something. Yeah, it's all Skype's fault. It's not your fault. It may be my... It may be on my end. We just had a storm blow through, so... Um, but, no, I... So, our, I mean... Do you not need to say anything about Padme Ayers? Do we just need to... I, look, I, the Padme Anakin stuff in this movie is my least favorite part. Right, of the movie. right. Well, and, and I don't think it's necessarily a fault of her or a fault of him. I just, I just think that it, it's not all that interesting to me. Um, I don't know. In watching it again, uh, the thing that really hit me was... It's just kind of how much everybody's sort of lying is the wrong word, but none of the characters are are a hundred percent truthful with each other. In this right, movie. right. You know, Anakin obviously is the center of it. He's not truthful to himself. He's not truthful to Padme. He's not truthful to Palpatine. He's not truthful to Obi Wan or any of the Jedi. The Jedi likewise aren't truthful to him. Palpatine is not truthful. It's like this whole sea of just manipulation by everybody and and half-truths and believing in... Uh, there's a lot of hypocrisy in this. You know, Anakin gets mad at Obi-Wan when Obi-Wan asks him to spy on... to spy on Palpatine, saying that that's not the Jedi thing to do. But yet Anakin killed Dooku which is not the Jedi thing to do. Right, right. You know, it, it's just this whole movie is, and, and and I think that's part of the point. It's basically, you know, it, it's part of Palpatine's whole plot to to take over everything and the destruction of the Republic and stuff, that all of this is happening. But it's just, it's kind of sad to watch because you see what could have been if they were just true, like Mace just, just treats Anakin like garbage throughout the whole movie. And here's a guy who, throughout the Clone Wars, has been basically the hero of the Clone Wars. It, you know, I'm talking about Anakin. Right, right, right. Just right. treats him like he's not worthy to be in the same room as him. Yeah, but, I mean, hasn't Mace kind of had a problem with him ever since Phantom Menace, since that little boy walked into the Jedi Council yeah. Chambers? Yeah, he's, been, he's had his doubts about him, but... But hasn't Anakin more than proven his worth? 
Oh, I think so. I completely agree. I you know, think and if Mace had just at one point just you know accepted him, then maybe Anakin wouldn't have fallen prey to the manipulations of Palpatine. Do you think this is fun discussion? Do you think that the death of Qui Gon hurt him? Well, obviously, the death of Qui Gon was right. yeah, definitely because Qui Gon to the end would have been a staunch defender of Anakin in front of the Jedi Council. Right. But and without Qui-Gon, Anakin I mean Obi-Wan Obi-Wan had Anakin's back but never stood up and defied the council on behalf of Anakin. Qui-Gon would have and Qui-Gon did so in Phantom Menace when he simply said then you won't accept him, I'm going to train him myself. Right, right. Well, and and Obi-Wan he he doesn't he never does it in front of the council and the only time we see him remotely take up for Anakin is there with Mace and Yoda on that little gunship taking Yoda to, to the Wookiees. And he, and he just kind of says, now, wait a minute, guys, is he not the chosen one? Yeah. You know, is he not supposed to bring balance to the force? And then of course they're like, well, the prophecy might've been misread, you know, that kind of thing. And that was it. Yeah. Um, but, but Anakin never sees Obi-Wan step up for him either. You know, when, when right, Anakin, right. When they have the whole meeting in front of the council about Anakin, Anakin becoming a master, and they say, part of the council you are, but a master you are not. And Anakin flips out. Obi-Wan doesn't say anything. He just, you know, kind of gives a little look here or there, and it's not until afterwards, away from all the masters, that, you know, he's counseling him and saying some kind words about him. But he doesn't stand up for him there. He doesn't stand up and say, I have fought with Anakin throughout the entire Clone Wars, and He's more than proven himself worthy of being a master and sitting amongst us. But don't you think that's because Obi-Wan felt caught in the middle of some stuff at the same time? Possibly. I mean, Anakin didn't make Obi-Wan's job easy. No. You know? No, he didn't. He defied Obi-Wan all the time, right, too. Right, right. So, but uh, back to the Qui-Gon thing. Obviously, had Qui-Gon lived, you know, it, there may have been a different outcome. But I just wonder for what reasons, because... Would Qui-Gon have allowed Anakin to explore his feelings for Padme? Or or would that have been where Qui-Gon draws the line? Because I firmly believe that the minute Anakin had dreams about his mother, Qui-Gon would have booked it to Tatooine with Anakin to yeah. find out what was going on. I really yeah, I do agree believe with that. You on that. I really think that. But when it but it's the Padme situation where I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting. Because in a, in, in a lot of ways, Qui-Gon well, maybe a lot of ways is the wrong word, but in some ways, Qui-Gon was sort of an outsider amongst the Jedi. Right, yeah. You know, he he didn't necessarily adhere to the Jedi Code as staunchly as others did. Right, right. Well, no, because he he was tapped into the idea of the living force, which yeah. is this whole other mystery, you know, that, that you get into. And he was interacting with the Force in a different way than even the Jedi Masters on the Council were. Mm-hmm. You know, so and and you know when he and when he and Obi Wan have that conversation in the Phantom Menace, where Obi Wan says, you know, if you'd quit defying them, you'd be on the Council by now. Qui Gon don't don't give a duke about being on the Council, right? Because Qui Gon isn't following the code; he's following the Force. And I and I think that's a that's an important thing to distinguish. But I just wonder. You know, there's so many things that play into 
Anakin's downfall, one of those being Padme, and it's not that Padme causes his downfall, but he's so intent on having the power to save her life Mm -hmm. that he ends up taking whatever looks like it may be the way to get that power. Yeah. And so, so, you know, not only the Padme thing, but would he have still had that relationship with Palpatine? I don't think he would have had the relationship with Palpatine because because I think that I think Qui-Gon would have been uh, a stiff barrier between him and Palpatine. Really? I think at the very least, Qui-Gon would have been Qui-Gon would have been a barrier that Palpatine would have had to have found a way around. Right. I, I mean, I agree. I, I I agree with you there, and I, you know, I'm just trying to trying because I've never thought, I've thought about the Padme thing before. I've thought about his mom, but I've never. This is the first time I've ever thought about the whole Palpatine relationship because that really plays into Anakin's downfall. I mean, you see it in Attack of the Clones. Anakin mm-hmm. has this relationship with this man who is who is acting as a father figure for him. Yeah, there's so much psychological that's happening with yeah, Palpatine I mean, and Palpatine Anakin. Palpatine is playing him like a fiddle. Right. He's feeding him everything that everything that Anakin wants to hear, Palpatine's feeding to him. So that by the time you get to Sith, when when he's standing there and it's Mace or Palpatine, Anakin chooses Palpatine. And and it's and, and rightfully so. Because here's a guy that from the time he was a nine year old kid hasn't wanted him around. You right. know, he's he goes to arrest the Chancellor after Anakin, and, and and Anakin finds out that Palpatine's a Sith Lord, and when when Mace uh, <laughs> a Sith Lord, um, when he goes to arrest him, he's like, "You stay here and stay in the chamber," and and it's like, "Well, but you can't, huh?" You know, like give the kid. A, on one hand, you want to say give the kid a chance. On the other hand, and what Anakin comes in doing, he's not saying anything wrong. You know, you can't be the executioner. He's got to stand trial. And of course, Anakin didn't see everything. But of course, Anakin didn't do that for Dooku. That's true. That's true. You know, Anakin didn't bring Dooku back for trial. He cut his head off. Yeah, in one of the worst uh, puns in Star Wars history, he killed an unarmed man. Um, <laughs> that's. Well, that's what he says. He says he was unarmed. Um, which, you know, I mean, I guess really it was more like, you know. I think it would have been interesting, too, had Qui-Gon still been around. When Mace goes to confront Palpatine about being the Sith Lord, I think that Qui-Gon definitely would have put up a better fight than the other Jedi that Mace took with him. At that point, I completely agree. That yeah. was just, that was ridiculous. It's, come on. Well, and it's written in, you know, again, go, going back to the novelization, you know, it was written in the novelization, apparently, and you can tell me if I'm wrong on this, but as I recall McDermott talking about, I've never read the script, but the idea is supposed to be that he's moving faster than they've ever seen anyone move before. Palpatine, that is. And that's, okay, That fair enough, but you're still going in prepared to confront a Sith Lord. A Sith Lord? <laughs> I, I, you know, I, just, I think you'd be a little bit more prepared. I don't know. I just think they were cocky. I thought that they figured Maybe. now that they had it all figured out, it was just going to be. I mean, the you know, Kit Fisto and I think it might have been Sesay Ten, the two of them went down basically without even drawing their lightsabers. Well, I think Kit Fisto, I think it was Agent Kolar 
and Sacy Teen that went down quicker, and Kit Fisto lasted maybe two or three seconds longer. Because that one dude that's not Kit Fisto and not Sacy Teen, he gets he's the first one to go. Yeah, and he just takes it right in the chest. Yeah, he's just done. Um, and then, uh, and, and then Sacy team real quickly again, and Fisto gets up a little defense, but not much. And of course, then, you know, Mace Windu, the baddest mother in the galaxy, right. you know, he, he, he faces him down, but, uh, th- that scene immediately following that fight where he's bestowing Anakin, the name Darth Vader, yeah. what they do in the sound mix there just creeped me out and excited me all at the same time. The first time I was watching that when, when the force is strong with you yeah. and you hear this weird breathing and it's almost like it's almost like the dark side is speaking through palpatine yeah in that moment and it's just is oh so creepy but so amazing um so yeah i dude just going i, I think it holds up i love so much about it. i love r2 slow burn on the on the hangar de- deck of grievous's ship when they won't shut up and he has to throw the, he throws a little comm link inside himself trying to muffle the noise. You know, <laughs> it's, it's this cool slow burn moment for R2D2. Um, 3PO is another one that kind of got the short, short end of the stick in this movie. We just kind of see him once or twice and we see him flying of all things at one point. Um, and it's not lost on me that the, the, basically the way we go out is the way we are let in uh, to all of our characters um, in reverse order going into episode four because you see, uh, with the exception of the Padme funeral, you see uh, R2 and 3PO. Then, of course, they cut to the Padme funeral, but then Vader, and that's the, that's R2, 3PO, Vader are the way we're, we're introduced. Then Leia, then Luke to close us out. And the way we're introduced to our characters in A New Hope is R2 and 3PO, Vader, Leia, Luke. And, I have never thought of that yeah, either. It's a cool, with the exception of the Padme funeral break in there, um, it, it's the it's the exact same order. So, um, so that that's Revenge of the Sith. Uh, I, I, to this day, man, it, it was it was a fun experience for me as a fan. Uh, not only with Celebration Three, but Midnight Madness that year, with the toys and stuff. Right. Um, in, in my little town, a Walmart had just opened in our town that I was living at the time. And the lady who was over the toy department, she wanted in on the whole tent and the parking lot thing. And, uh, just, and so it was just me and three other people that showed up and she was so excited to see anybody. And, um, and, and I ended up with some, uh, with some display materials from that, that the whole revenge of the Sith display back then. That are that are still around in the old Star Wars room to this day, um, and uh, it was it was just a I, I loved my experience with Revenge of the Sith. Now I haven't lived with it as long as I've lived with The Empire Strikes Back, though. And um, I think most people, and and I think even you, we've talked about it before. Empire is your favorite <sighs> so far. You know it's. It's easy to say that Empire is your favorite, right. but I, I don't know that I can call Empire a favorite over A New Hope. That's right. You said, and, and, and to be honest with you, like the more time that that passes, the more and more I like Jedi. Also, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
All right, listen. There's some really, really fun moments in Jedi. Yep. Yep. Um, so I, 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 I just, I think I just equally like the whole original. Trilogy. Sure, sure. I, 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 now that now that you said a new hope, I remember. I think last time we got to talk about Star Wars, and and I went around and asked that question that you 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 said Star Wars, you know, a new hope because it it's kind of the original or whatever. Now that I'm thinking back and remembering, now that my memory brain is working, um. I love Empire Strikes Back. Empire is, uh, for me, Eric, it, it's the movie that I think I may have the most original Kenner collectibles from. Um, just because it was right in the heyday. When, as, as the stuff with Jedi kind of faded out, things became a little more rare and not quite as on shelves as much during the Jedi times. But right. with Empire, you know, you're talking the Snowspeeders, the ATSTs, the Darth Vader's Death uh, Star Destroyer rather playset. Uh, there's a couple of Hoth playsets. Of course, all the figures, the Tauntauns, the Wampa, uh, the Dagobah playset, uh, all the, like I say, all the figures and everything. Uh, and man, trading cards. As a little three, four-year-old kid, I don't know what it was, but I loved carrying these trading cards around and look just looking at the pictures. I had no idea what was going on in this movie back in the, at that age, uh, but I just loved to look at those trading cards. And I still have them to this day. They're all bent up and out of shape, but I, I must have until I was uh, six years old. I had like an old emptied out tackle box that I would carry these things around, and I just carried them with me wherever I went. The Empire Strikes Back trading cards. I had a storybook that... Uh, I've still got the hardcover, the old hardcover Empire Strikes Back storybook and uh, actually took it to my school library for the librarian to fix the spine on because I had worn it out so much reading it over and over again. So now where the spine used to be, there's just like blue tape uh, where she glued it all back together and just had to tape it back down. And um, and, uh, because I I have the little mass market Empire Strikes Back graphic novel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I see. I never had any anything like that from I, Empire. I don't know why I don't have a lot of Empire merch. Mm-hmm. Like I've got I've got a bunch of the original Star Wars stuff, right? Um, and I've got some Jedi stuff, but Empire. I think I just I think I just have two items. I have the the Art of book, mm-hmm. and I've got the uh, the little mass market uh, graphic novel. Now I don't have the Empire Art of book. I've got another one. It, it was like a, it, it's a paperback, and it's the is it the sketchbook, and in it are just a lot of concept sketches. Yeah. Um. And I remember when I got that, I didn't understand. I was like, well, this isn't who drew this. I was thinking it was people doing their interpretations of what had been on screen. And then when I finally started, you know, getting to where I understood what was happening, I'm like, oh, this is what it was going to look like, you know? Yeah. And started looking at all this stuff. I'm like, oh, I like what... And there'd be something, I'm like, oh, I like what they did on screen so much better, you know? Or, oh, they should have stuck with this design, that kind of thing. But, um, but dude, Empire, to me... And I'm going to make a statement here that it, you know, that I've made on other podcasts, that it wasn't until, you know... I was on up in age that I realized that Empire Strikes Back was some kind of, you know, everyone calls it like the darkest. And I didn't realize it was what you'd consider a dark movie. You know, it, it, to me, yeah, Han Solo had gotten taken hostage, but he was going to be okay because Lando and then we're going to go save him. Yeah, but and, I think that the thing was is that, you know, our heroes basically lost in the end. Right. Well, see, and as a, as a kid, though, as a young kid, it never dawned on me they lost. I thought, well, they got away. You know, 
yeah, Luke got hurt, but he got away. And look, he's got a hand now. You know, like I say, it wasn't until I was older and a little bit, you know, my, my cognitive functions weren't all quite there at the time. Right. Eric, give me a break. I was a kid. Um, that I realized, oh, wow, you know, this I really is kind 10. of a... How old were you? I was 10 when it came 10 out. when it came. And you said you don't really remember seeing it for the first time? No, you know, it's weird. I, I can vividly remember seeing A New Hope in the theater, and I definitely remember seeing Jedi in the theater, but... I have no memory of seeing Empire in the theater. Huh. Like, I, I, I don't know where I saw it. I remember that I loved it, and I remember, like, you know, playing with the toys. And I had to have seen it when I was living in, in Phoenix because I remember me and my sister and my brother, who are both younger than I am, and the kids on the street that I lived on, we used to... We used to re- try and reenact like the whole movie from beginning to end in like oh, our nice. front yard. You know, just kind of yeah. do it like a play almost. Right, right. Um, you know, just from memory, not having a script or anything to work off of. Um, so that was, excuse me, that was like our whole summer was basically, you know, if we weren't in the pool, because in Arizona, like, I remember we had a pool, but. If we weren't in the pool, we were in the front yard, like, playing Empire Strikes Back. And everybody used to fight over who got to be the Wampa. <laughs> really? That's what everybody I was... wanted to be the Wampa. <laughs> I remember I had my best friend who lived up the street from me at the time. Whenever we'd play Star Wars, he always got to be Luke because he had blonde hair and I always had to be Han because I had dark hair. And that was our that was our, uh, that was was our our way of choosing and I was always so disappointed. I'm like, because all the, to me, this is literally what I was thinking in my mind. All the cool stuff happens to Luke. You know, I wasn't thinking about Han gets the girl. You know, I wasn't thinking about, all, you know, how cool Han Solo was. I was a Luke kid back in the day. You know, I recognized that Luke was the hero of the story. And that's who I'm like, why do you always get to be Luke? He's like, I have blonde hair. I'm like, okay. And, uh, but I was always so disappointed because of, because of that. And so, but I never I definitely would have wanted to have been on an empire. I never, I, I, I can tell you right now, I would not have done well on Dagobah. No. Just, <laughs> oh, me neither. Just the humidity me neither. on that planet yeah. and like all the bugs and stuff. Oh, I would have been so angry the whole time. That would have drove me to the dark that side drove, that, alone. That alone, that alone. And the, and apparently the food's not that great. Yeah. Um, just but, eating protein bars and. Whatever that nasty stew was that Yoda was yes, cooking up. Yes, but I will say this: I, I none of us ever fought over it being the Wampa. Ever. Plus, I'll say this: I would have gotten stuck in the door to Yoda's hut, yeah, <laughs> like Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, yeah I, I, I just would have been stuck in there the whole time. Uh, Yoda draws a picture of a moose on your ear. Yoda, can't you please use the Force to get me out of your doorway? Can't you use the force to lose? Use the force to lose weight, can't you? Try not. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, um, uh, dude, how about Frank Oz's performance of Yoda in that movie? I, it's been oh. said to death. It's been done to death. But I know, but but come on, you gotta. The minute you mention Yoda, you've got to mention that amazing performance. Well, and, and not to jump to Rebels, but the the episode of Rebels where. Frank did the voice of Yoda just was such an incredible moment just to hear him do Yoda again 
I mean, it, that's just how special that character is. Yeah, I got, dude, I got choked up when when it was Frank Oz's voice. Uh, you know, as much as I love Tom Kane doing Yoda, to you know, you when when Frank Oz shows up as Yoda, you just realize, man, that that it hadn't been Frank Oz this whole time that we've been listening to. Skype's messing with us again. I'm letting it pass. I'm trying to let it pass. I can't hear anything you're saying. Right, right. right. Oh, there you're back. It's weird. It's like some weird feedback. You're fine now. Okay. No, I was just saying that I really felt like, you know, with... Uh, with is it, uh, I'm breaking up again, aren't I? No. Okay. It sounds like I might be. When Frank Oz returned, I just got choked up because, you know, you realize how long you'd been without him. Yeah. And and it was just an amazing thing to hear. And and, and and so, and it takes you back to that first moment when you meet Yoda and he's this crazy little thing. And, and then he turns out to be this wise old Jedi master. And, of course, it's one of the lessons that you learn in all of literature is that, you know, images are deceiving. Not all that's gold glitters and that sort of thing. So it's, it's 1989. I'm a, a nerdy film student at NYU. And they had this program called the Director Series mm-hmm. where uh, a director would come and screen his new movie. And, you know, you'd have to stand in line to get into this, these things because it only sat like 50 to 100 people. And then after the movie, the director would do a Q&A. So Frank Oz came and screened Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. And then did a Q&A afterwards. I was the nerd who asked them about Yoda. Nice. <laughs> like, you could tell that, like, there's a lot of guys in the room that wanted to ask about it but didn't. And I was the guy who, like, was like, so, you know, can you talk a little bit about doing Yoda? And do you think we're ever going to get to see Yoda again? And, you know, what was it like working with George? And, like, everybody just kind of applauded after I asked that. So they were like, yeah, somebody asked him about Yoda. Um, but that was just like that was one of my cool moments. Yeah, you weren't you weren't the nerd that asked about Yoda. You were the man with the courage to ask about Yoda. Yeah, I guess. So yeah. I was the nerd who asked about. Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that one moment, and I've talked about this before on the show. There's that one moment as Luke's talking to him, and and it, you just get a close up on Yoda's face, and he just kind of tilts his head a little bit. Yep. And it, it's like, that's not, that's someone in makeup. There's no yes. way that's a puppet, you know? That, it's just, there wasn't a point in that movie where either the first time you saw it or you watch it now where you're like, that's a puppet. It, Yoda is a living, breathing character the entire time. Yes. Yes. And it's, it, it fan, fan freaking tastic job. Yeah. Just fantastic. And I mean, and Mark Hamill at the same time having to play against this thing and knowing now, you know, what he was having to do as far as listening to something in his ear and, you know, and, and the conditions there on that sound stage and all where, where he was just up there by himself and, and, and struggling to hear what was going on and still and playing as earnestly as he did against this puppet. You know, you got to give props to Mark Hamill for doing what he did. Well, and what amazes me about, and this is getting off the topic of Empire a little bit, but, you know, Jim Henson and Frank Oz, you know, these are guys who basically made their career working above their heads. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and, and these guys are tall men. And, you know, 
holding these puppets up above your head for, you know, such long periods of time and everything and like it turning them into characters the way they do just it's so physically demanding you know these sets that they're working on oftentimes are like crammed underneath the set and like little crawl spaces and things like that just absolutely amazing the the characters that those two and all all the other puppeteers and, and, and muppeteers and stuff who worked on this have like brought to life is just amazing to me yeah agreed completely agreed um this this movie also to me it just it ramped up the thread of darth vader mm-hmm. you know from the moment he's choking admiral Ozel out over the <laughs> over the big screen yeah i mean vader's just choking dudes out left and right in this movie yeah he's done he is done with your pettiness he is going to choke your butt out um and there's that great moment at the end, though. Watch Empire sometime. And there at the end, after the Falcon gets away for the last time, and Vader kind of looks over his shoulder, he turns back to the window, and then he turns around to walk off the bridge. Yeah. Uh, there's one dude standing there, I guess, in the modern vernacular of Star Wars, we'd say, with a data pad. And and he's just looking down at it. And as Vader walks by and gets past him, he just kind of looks over his shoulder. <laughs> Making sure he's not going to get choked out. That's right. That's right. Making sure that there's not a lightsaber about to go through his chest or he's about to get choked out. And uh, was it, uh, it wasn't Nita. I guess it would have been Piet there who, uh, who, for whatever reason, Vader just spared him instead of choking him out the way he did uh, Captain Nita and Admiral Ozzel. But, uh, but man, Vader was, Vader became a force to be reckoned with. That lightsaber battle he has with Luke on Cloud City impressive oh most impressive dude well from the from the get-go where he's just standing up there in silhouette on those Mm -hmm. orange stairs and the force is with you young skywalker but you're not a jedi yet and 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 he just toys with him there at first just one-handed sweet you know sweeping that sword around that lightsaber around and then when he finally just unleashes on him with the force and throws him out the big tie fighter window down there and then i always call it a tie fighter window you know it's that that round window and then we always called it the Cloud City Arcade, where Luke <laughs> climbed in. Because you had all those little machines, you know, that looked yep. like uh, arcade games. And Vader just comes out of nowhere, swinging for the fences at Luke's head. Like, he was going to kill that kid. Yeah. You know? And, oh, good night. Um, it was... Uh, it, it, it's just like, this is someone to be feared. This is someone to be scared of. And... Uh, and 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 it so much so that even after Jedi, um, there was a contest. And I, I guess it was Kenner or someone was having a contest, or and basically it was you can win this and have Vader come to your house for a party. And I'm like, I don't want Darth Vader at my house. As a kid, <laughs> as a kid, I'm like, why would anyone want Darth Vader at their house? You know, he's a scary Joker. Um, so, now you'd want Darth Vader. At your oh, house. definitely. Anytime, come on over, man. We'll hang out. I'll get you a straw to sip through or whatever you need. And in the uh, morning, I'm making waffles. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, do you what's your do you have a favorite scene of Empire at least? Well, I'm a fat guy. Okay. So, you know, Boba Fett, Boba Fett one of the few guys who stand up to Vader. Yes. You know, telling him that he's no good to meet dad. Yep. Yep. Um that that's got to be one of my favorite scenes so much so that 
years and years ago when I was at a small little con here in, in the city, Jeremy Bullock was there and you know, I paid my twenty, twenty five bucks, picked out my eight by ten glossy and it was the glossy of Boba Fett and IG eighty eight standing next oh, to each other. Yes. And Jeremy Bullock signed it and he signed it Best Wishes Jeremy Bullock and passed it over to me and I looked at it and I'm like, Best wishes? I'm like, you gotta write he's no good to me dead. And so he took it back and wrote that on there. I was like, Thank you. Nice. <laughs> Well, I love, I love the, uh, you know, he's, Vader's giving them their, uh, their marching orders and he's like, I want them alive. No, no disintegrations. disintegrations. And, and Fett's just like, as you wish. And, and then when he does come down to it, he is the one person in the world, uh, to stand up to Darth Vader. I know that picture you're talking about. I, I assume, uh, is it, it now is Boba Fett standing there in profile? Yes. Okay. And, and I picked it out because you see the, the, the skull symbol. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the shoulder. Um, that so is. I have that tattooed on my arm. Oh, so. nice. Well, that is uh, actually a, a Topps trading card. That picture. I'm sure it is. It, I mean, it's a famous picture. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's named the 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 caption of it is IG88 and Boba Fett. You don't get much more straightforward than that. So I actually just sent you a picture of it in the chat there, buddy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, uh-huh. I've got that first series of Empire cards almost down down pat. In fact, because of those Empire trading cards, that's how I've learned about the art of Ralph McQuarrie. Uh-huh. Um, because they had uh, a little mini, you know, set in the tail end of the numbered set uh, that was like out Ralph McQuarrie artwork, and it had the Luke on Dagobah. Uh, it had uh, the the image of the snow speeder, the painting of the snow speeder battle. I think it might have had Luke and Vader on Bespin. Bespin. Um, oh, good Lord. Lando Calrissian, ladies and gentlemen, was introduced yeah, in this movie. Well, what do we have here? Hello, what have we here? Um, he, dude, that kid, that cat, I never knew what to, what to make of as a kid. I mean, I get it now. Again, I go back to my feelings as a kid watching this movie sometimes, and I just remember not really knowing what to make of him. I'm like, but he turned on them... But then he helped him. Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? What is he? You know, and and yeah. uh, and he was just. And now you realize just what he was caught up in. He was caught up in you know something that was uh, bigger than himself. Vader and the Empire showed up right before Han did. You yeah, know, you can't say no to Vader. No, mm mm, and he'll alter that deal. Prey doesn't alter it any yeah. further. Plus, he hasn't seen Han in years. You know, he still has a thing about the Millennium Falcon. Um, you know, it's he's got a good thing going there. And what about you, Chewbacca? Still hanging out with this and loser? How are you doing, Chewbacca? Yeah. Still hanging out with this loser? So <laughs> Yeah, he uh he was something else. Dude, that moment when um when they walk in, you know, won't you join us for a little refreshments and he opens that door. And yeah. Vader's at the end of that table, and Han You're just, just like, what? Yes. And, well, and what, Han just starts blasting away. Yes. Vader just like ricochets the bolts off and then rips the gun from Han's mm-hmm. hand. So awesome. Uh, yes, that's the thing. Vader with his hand, you know, that was what always was. Uh, was was just blew my mind was that vader didn't need a lightsaber to to yeah. you know or any you know not that at that point we knew lightsabers could deflect blaster bolts but um 
but dang, just the hand and then just the here, I'll take that from you now. You know, like like a like a teacher taking a kid's phone in class. You know, that's yeah. mine. This is totally my this is totally my blaster now. Uh, just the whole three PO getting blowed up. That catch well, and, and a Star Wars swear word. Ichuta. Yes. How rude. How rude. How rude. Um, that captured my imagination as a kid. That I you know, it took me the longest time to realize what had happened in three PO. I didn't realize that it was a stormtrooper that like had answered the door. It, yeah, it's a it's a uh, it, because it's a voice we hadn't heard the stormtrooper sound like that. He's like, yeah. what are you doing here? You know, it was a weird, weird voice. It was kind of a weird voice for that. Yeah. Um, it took me a long time to figure out what happened to three PO there. Yeah. Well, I I, I just knew he got blown up. Yep. Real good. And and Chewie putting them back together. I mean, even that moment of humor there, it, you know, probably one of the lowest points, or just before the lowest point, I guess, if if Han getting frozen carbonite is, you know, where, where he's like, you stupid lug, I'm backwards. And Chewie just, <laughs> yeah. you know, just kind of laughs at him. I like, remember as a kid, my sister got the Ugna action figure before I did. <laughs> and I was so jealous. Because of the and, Ugna? Uh, and, like, I would have to, like, ask her really nicely and be really nice to her to get to play with it and stuff. Oh, uh, play. Can I play with the Ugnot, please? Yeah. You, Come on, you, please. Let me play with the little pig man. You wanted to play with the Ugnot and you wanted to be the Wampa. You fought over who got to be the Wampa. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you guys are having some crazy adventures at your house. <laughs> Dude, I yeah the the little Ugnots and they're like the only aliens really that you see in this movie. You know, well, aside it, from Yoda. Well, aside from Yoda and Bosk, I guess. But I mean, in, in a way, this was such a huge departure from, you know, the big set piece of the Cantina. Yeah. In Star Wars, you you never had that moment, and they kind of revisited it, and and I feel like kicked it up a notch, you know, in Jabba's Palace and Jedi. Yeah. But but here it's so. I don't want to say it's stripped down, but it but that mo- but Empire really is so much about what's happening to these characters. It's yeah. a, it's another one of these things where we don't really have time to stop and look at the scenery, guys. We got to move. Well, but- because our main characters don't really interact with a lot of characters outside of the core group. Right. You know, Han and Leia are for the most part just together with Chewie and 3PO on the Falcon for a good part of the movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, Luke is just off with Yoda on his own. Then at the end, they all kind of get back together, and you throw Lando and Lobot and uh, Ice Cream Machine Man. There you go yeah. into the mix. Will Row Hood. <laughs> <laughs> um, do now. Let me ask you about that space slug real quick. Just get your opinion. That thing is so massive, and compared to that thing, the Millennium Falcon is so small. Yeah. Were they really in danger of being eaten, or was it just they're scared he wouldn't open his mouth back up? I no, I don't think they were. I don't think the slug itself is what was going to damage them. I think it was all the parasites and the minox and stuff. Okay, all inside right. the slug. The minox. So, yeah. <laughs> no, because just the the few minutes that they were there, there was a bunch of them, and probably more would have come. Right. Right. That's true. I didn't think about but, that. I just. But also, what's out there that that slug is actually eating? I don't know. I mean, I, you, you've got to imagine maybe a, a, a stray asteroid here or there that I guess he'll just take whatever he can. A big star destroyer. Comes now that by. that'd be like, awesome. 
That'd be awesome. Lunch for a while. That'd be awesome to see him reach up and grab one of those bad boys. Maybe there's a short story for Insider. Uh, indeed, in in how you got away. So, um, yeah, I that that thing was always. That's another one of those things in Star Wars that kind of captured my imagination was that space slug. Yeah. And 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 the asteroid they were on was. I mean, you know, it's of course we're getting closer to one of those big ones. Closer. <laughs> Excuse me, I had to hit the old cough button there. Um, but uh, but yeah, they that whole thing. Like now, looking back, it's like, well, was that a planet that might have got busted up, or was it just a really big asteroid and asteroid field? Because that's interesting, you know. Because it, I mean, they're flying through canyons on that thing, yeah. and and so you just wonder exactly what it was there in the NOAT system. Um, there's not much there, you know, according to Leia. Um, and that's another thing. Just that moment of them like flipping through the, you know, what what has to amount to a road atlas for space there on the Falcon. There's little well, moments like that throughout. I mean, you know, you know, I guess we see people eat in Star Wars, you know. So Yoda grabbing a little thing and eating off of it, and Luke worrying about you know his food and stuff. But but you don't really see moments of people just discussing. Well, where are we? <laughs> where what is near us? Is there a gas station nearby? Because I need to pee. You know, you don't see those kind of conversations. And just that little moment of them doing that is is yeah. is, is it adds a it adds that Lando's touch. system. The Lando's not a system; he's a man. Um. So, and two, do do you remember the non-special edition Cloud City? Just how? No, not not very not very well. Uh, it was so closed in, and and like the walls were all like stark white, almost like the Tantive Four without the control panels and stuff. And uh, and so when the special edition hit, and they just painted in windows and 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 painted in different lighting and everything, like it opens up. It's it's it, what they did with the special edition of of Empire was so interesting because to me more than having a digital Jabba around or you know adding a whole new digital scene it just showed what they could do with with lighting and, and right. stuff digitally and, and it's pretty fantastic buddy peacock disagrees with me but it opens up cloud city so you actually <laughs> see the clouds more and you see what's going on more um on, on the outside it, it it's a it's a fascinating transition you know it's worth going back and watching that the original theatrical stuff um and to just to kind of get a feel of just how much they changed uh what cloud city was well um, buddy peacock's not gonna like what i have to say here but uh, i know that a lot of people like to rip on george for you know the changes he made in the special editions i actually applaud him for it um it, it's it's him because he didn't just make these changes to make these changes. He did it because he was fixing things that he always intended to do but was never able to do. Right, right. You know, like the, the Ewoks blinking is a perfect example. They, <laughs> they tried to make the Ewoks blink numerous different ways when they were filming Jedi and just couldn't make it happen. And he was never satisfied with it. So he has the opportunity to finally, many, many years later, make these characters blink the way he always intended them to. And he did it. You know? And, yeah, and yeah. You can't fault uh, uh, an artist for wanting to get his, his creation right. 
I mean, I listen. I agree with you. I, you're preaching to the choir right now, and and Buddy Peacock too. Uh, <laughs> he says you're mean logic and truthiness. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, there, the yeah, yeah. I I agree with you. There are some things that, you know, that I scratch my head about when I, yeah, when I see on them stepping on Java's tail. You know, things right. like that. But right. I mean, that's also a result of the Java character changing from what he initially intended. Right, and not yeah. only and and you got to figure out a way to work around that that moment in the scene. And so. when I and when I saw them talking about what they did to do that. I thought it was ingenious, mm-hmm. you know. I, I was amazed, but I I don't understand, you know, the logic behind Greedo shooting first and everything. Um, I I that, that honestly, truthfully, that's my biggest, yeah, biggest hang up on any changes that were made. Well, uh, I think that anytime. goes across the board. And I'm not going to argue with you right, on that one. Right, right. Everything else, I'm fine with. Even the musical changes in Jedi. I miss Lapty Neck. I miss Yub Nub when I watch the movie, but I am I I, I like the celebration uh, music at the end mm-hmm. of Jedi, and I really like um, and, and I've learned to really like the, the 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 Jedi Rocks number there in Jabba's Palace. There is one slight change in Empire that it I don't. I don't know how much I dig it, and and it's the only sticking. It's it's one other little small sticking point for me. It's where Vader's leaving Cloud City, and what he says in the special edition is, "Alert my star destroyer to prepare to prepare for my arrival." And we see him take off, and what they do is they basically it looks like they're using footage from uh, Jedi when he lands in the hangar. You know, just really quickly they just cut to him landing right. in the hangar. Um, I just like the way he used to say in the old for bring my ship, you know, like right. he's just, he means business. He's in those are, and it's not even a hang up the way that the Han shooting or the Greedo shooting first thing is. But, uh, but, but that's, if, if there was any change, I would have a problem with when they finally, for the DVD release, changed the emperor to Palpatine to, to Ian McDermott on that hologram. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was the greatest thing they could have done. Um, uh, see that that's one that really yeah why no it's it's got to be sebastian shot no 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 not 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 hayden on, on and when vader's talking to the emperor and empire oh yeah yeah no, sorry i i sorry, i missed the first part of that yeah no no when the the change when mcdermott read the chat and, and listen at the same I, time obviously. i understand i understand when uh when when mcdermott when they changed the mcdermott i really thought that was just uh, great because it yeah. it needed to be done. Yeah, it really made it flow better into into his introduction in Jedi. Yeah, so, totally agree. Yeah. So, oh my gosh! Now, but I think what Buddy Peacock's doing now is just trolling me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm I'm now gonna I'm now gonna do what I normally do and ignore the chat uh, because I I do a much better job when I do that. So, um. But it's hard, dude. It's hard for me to believe that it's been thirty-five years since Empire yeah. was released. That's just that's mind-boggling to me. Um, that I've lived with that movie that you know that much of my life. Um, because I because I do still so vividly remember. I remember, dude, as a three-year-old kid, three, four-year-old kid loading up in the car with my mom and my sister to go see Empire 
We picked up some of her friends. I fell asleep during the movie. I was just a kid, you know. I was just a, a toddler, basically. But I, but I loved Star Wars even at that point in my life, um, you know, because my older my older siblings did. And and like I say, with those trading cards, I would carry around. And my parents would were going ahead and buying me action figures at that time, you know, because I if if I if they didn't, I was going to get into my older siblings' action figures, and they would get right. mad. Um, and so so I had this stuff, man. It was just there the whole time. And Empire, again, like I say, just growing up with it, you know, and, and having it there and 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 just remembering, you know, just the thrill of, of every time I got a new toy or a new action figure and, and being able to now replay a new scene or a new set. Sears would do these exclusives all the time. And one of the exclusives they did for Empire was basically a cardboard cutout of Cloud City. And it came with a few yeah. figures. It came with a few figures, but it was just a cardboard thing that you folded out. I had that, tore it to pieces, not not intentionally, you know, but just through wear and tear of just general play. And now that's one of those things, if you find it goes for like 1500 bucks or whatever the case may be, you know, because it's just one of those things that no one ever kept around. Um, I remember one of my mom's magazines, and it was like, I don't know, like Red Book or Mother's Day or something like that. You know, one of those magazines that your mom's re- that your mom reads. It had a had a little article in there, a little how to how to make your own Hoth playset, like out of styrofoam and stuff. And right. I still see this thing show up every once in a while on Facebook. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I remember cutting that page out of the magazine and like just searching for any piece of styrofoam that I could find to build my own hot place. <laughs> and that was like, that was the big deal. And, and also because one of my, my favorite stormtrooper and one of my favorite action figures was the snow trooper. I just loved the design of that thing. So to make a playset for this dude, I was like, I got to do this. And that was like a major mission of mine for a long time was to make that playset, and anytime I see it show up on Facebook, I'm just like, yeah, that's it, that's it. <laughs> I've seen, I haven't seen the other one. I've seen the Hoth thing, though, and uh, I almost actually bid on that one time. Um, uh, there was like a there was like a book that had some of that stuff in it, and I think someone had it on eBay at one point, uh, how to build a, your Hoth playset kind of thing, and I, I almost bid on it. I'm like, I could do that in the Star Wars room. It'd be amazing. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I love that you have a Star Wars room. I, I broadcast from it all the time, and most of what I've got—it's weird. I've, I feel like I've got a pretty decent mix of vintage and new stuff, but like, um, but I've got, you know, I've got it all intermingled. And I think some people would say that's heresy, but uh, no. but like I say, as it, as it pertains to Empire, I've got almost a full bookcase that's just well, I could really have a full bookcase of stuff that's just straight up Empire collectibles. Um, from from that vintage era, uh, because there was just so much in the span of those three years between Empire and Jedi, it never it never slowed down um, until a good year or two after Jedi had come and gone, you know. And uh, and and I was a kid. I played with my toys, but I I just I also tried my best to take as much care of them as I could. And so there's so much that just has kind of lasted. And there then there are things, there are toys that I've got. You know, they're missing the weapons. There's one play set that I know exactly. There's a little flaw here or there, and I'm like, I remember when this happened, 
you know, kind of thing. And it's weird. I mean, it really is. The, I remember when I, it lost its collectability. Yeah. Well, I mean, just as a kid, because I'm like, oh, this bent or this this snapped off, you know. And not because I tried to make it, but, you know, it did. I remember how excited I was when I found out about eBay. And, you know, uh, geez, early on in the 2000s, I guess, when someone's like, hey, have you seen this eBay thing? I'm like, no. And I just typed in Star Wars and boom, all this stuff came up. I'm like, I can fix my toys. And so... <laughs> And that's what most of my eBay experience has been. Just buying old junk parts to fix my toys. <laughs> I sadly have just kind of had to let most of my collection go over sure. the years. Well, and, you know, most people aren't like me. They, they're they not as pathetic as I am. <laughs> I mean, I miss it, but yeah. you, when you, you move as often as I sure. have and stuff, it's it just becomes stuff that you have to constantly right. remove. Of course, yeah. Well... You know, it's, it's, uh, listen, they're still out there, man. One day. Yeah. One, one day you can rebuild. One day I'll have a Star Wars room again. Let me know when you get ready to rebuild. I might have some stuff I can help you get started right. with. <laughs> well, I, I totally intended to open up the phone lines here, but Eris, I know you've got to go so you can, um, so you can get to get up in the morning and hit your yeah, flight out. Yeah, I up in a few hours. Have a, have a great con, my friend. Thanks, man. And uh, if you want to follow Erish, of course, you can do so. He's at Darth underscore Duff on, uh, on old Twitter. On the Twitter. And, uh, of, of course, Geek Out Loud, at Geek Out Loud. I'm at Steve Glosson. And uh, you can follow all the Goliverse at Goliverse on the Twitter. Thanks, everyone, who's joined us live in the chat at Mixer.com slash Goliverse. Uh, appreciate you guys uh, joining us live. Had a great time. Uh, the, people's some, Mixoplex. the people's mixelplex. The people's mixelplex. I appreciate you guys uh, hanging out with us tonight. And those of you who download via the podcast, thank you so much. If you do it through iTunes, head over to... I've not been able to talk tonight. Not foo iTunes, but through iTunes. Uh, if you'll go to iTunes and leave a few reviews, it really helps our visibility on uh, the iTunes podcasting page so that people will see us as they're browsing. And uh, and we get more listeners that way. And we just build the Goliverse. Uh, also... Uh, if you want to help us out and support us, you can do so by using that Amazon link uh, that you can find at geekoutonline.com and geekoutpodcast.com. Just go there and do your shopping for Amazon from those links, and uh, it'll help the show out in a big, bad way. Thank you, everyone who supports us directly through Patreon at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. And if you want to do so, just go to patreon.com slash geekoutloud and uh, check out the reward levels there and whatever you want to jump in on. We greatly appreciate it. Got a new... Uh, uh, exclusive pod coming soon so keep watching that side and keep watching the Twitter on those facebook.com nice. yeah facebook.com slash geekoutloud is the Facebook page and of course the email is geekoutonline at gmail.com geekoutonline at gmail.com Erish it's always a blast having you on man and talking to you I appreciate oh, I you being this. here it was- I have so much fun doing this uh, uh, if anybody's going to be at Phoenix Comic Con this weekend Come by the Delray booth, say hello. I'll be there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, if you're yell the... past the corn. Yes, that's the that's what you got to do is yell past the corn. It'll air. Make sure. Trust me, my coworkers love it. They're like, "What is going on?" <laughs> you're getting famous, man. You're getting internet famous. So, <laughs> all right, everyone, uh, that's going to wrap it up for us uh, for Air Shernevice. Let me say it right, man. For Air Shernevice, I'm Steve Glosson. We'll see you next time on Geek Out Loud.
Well, that was the wrong Miko selection. <laughs> 